Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. Hey, uh, we are in this family series. We're talking about stuff around the family things that we need in the home. Today, I'm gonna to talk about raising kids. I have noticed over the years, especially as a pastor, that when you start talking about the subject of raising kids, there can be some tension in the room. Uh, and I think it's a lot because we can have a tendency to be a little defensive, uh, maybe uh, a little bit offendable when it comes to people telling us how we should raise our kids. Like, I know I've definitely been that way I remember when my kids were young or when we were getting ready to have kids. How many of y'all know, like, when you're getting ready to have kids, people have all kinds of advice for you, like everything you're supposed to do. And, and honestly, it kind of gets old after a while. It's just like, okay, you know what? I don't think my kid is like your kid. I think my kid might be a different kind of kid than your kid. So it may not always work all the time. And, and so I, I know that when, and I'm not, you know, I'm, my kids are preteen, right around that age. And so some of y'all are much more seasoned. Some of y'all could teach us way better on parenting. Uh, but, but today, what I'm going to do, I'm just going to do my best not to give my opinion about parenting, but just to go to the Word. I'm just going to try to teach you from the Word of God. And I think that that's really important. You know, there, there are a lot of things in culture there are a lot of things in our society these days, even things that people try to make political that aren't really political that we may have opinions about. But at the end of the day, what I'm learning is, you know what, my opinion really doesn't matter that much. The word of God is our standard. The word of God is what we have to go to to get our instruction to find out what does God say about this subject. And so I'm just gonna try to stay right in the word when it comes to teaching on the subject today. Uh, first thing I want to say is this. You are never going to have a perfect family. It's just not going to happen. Like, I know some of y'all, you may be early on in marriage. You may have just had your first kid. And you're like, we are winning. This is amazing. We are awesome parents. I promise you, if nothing else, because God has a sense of humor, your next kid, watch out. Okay, like if you had an angel for your first one, the Lord will bring humility into your home. It'll happen, all right? It's going to happen. But the, the, thing, the fact of the matter is, you are, you're not going to have a perfect family. And that, actually, the Word of God encourages us around this. If you start saying the Word, you notice these leaders, like these people that God said are people like, people after my heart, the best leader ever. Okay, those two people, let's just talk about them. Moses. Moses neglected his kids for years because of the ministry. Wasn't a good dad for years because of that. David, David had a son that because he refused to forgive him, didn't restore him, that son tore his whole family apart. And when I read about those things, it's like, man, it's encouraging to know that even though they weren't always good parents, God still used them. God still had grace for them. How many of y'all would say you need the grace of God in your family raising kids? It's not easy. It's not easy, especially these days. Man, our kids are facing some of the craziest nonsense that I have ever seen or heard. It is nuts. Like some of the stuff, it's like my kids have to repeat it to me. I'm like, and they, they, they what? They're wearing what? 
They're saying, what? It's crazy. We need the word of God because we're not perfect. You're never going to have a perfect family. You need the grace of God. Second, not all families look the same. Not all families look the same. There's no cookie cutter formula for a great family. In this room, we got single moms, we got single dads, we got stay-at-home moms, we got stay-at-home dads, we got families where one parent works, or both families, or both parents work. We got families that want to homeschool, want to do private school, want to do public school. Everybody's just trying to do what they feel like the Lord is leading them to do. And none of those families are going to always look the same. This is what I would say to that. It doesn't matter how your family looks. It matters how your family functions according to the word of God. Because actions supersede appearance. So there should be some freedom in that. Like some of us, we put way too much emphasis on our family looking put together. But we abandon the standard of the word of God for our family. Not every family is going to look the same. And I also want to say this. I'm fully aware that there are a few people in this room right now that desperately want to be a parent and can't for whatever reason. It may be a season. It may be something biologically or medical or whatever it is. And I get that. And I know that, that it's hard when we have subjects like this. I know even last week it was hard for people as we are talking about being moms. I know that that is very hard. For some people who are in this room, I would say this, that even if you're in a season where you can't have kids or you're in a season where you didn't have kids and maybe it's too late, there is always a son or daughter around you that needs to have a spiritual father or mother. There is always somebody around you that needs a godly man and a godly woman that they can look to, that will encourage them, that will support them, that will speak truth and life and love into them. But I'm also going to pray for you at the end of service because I know that that's difficult when that happens. Not every family is going to look the same. In Ephesians, Paul is teaching this progression of submission. And we talked at the beginning of this series about marriage. And in Ephesians 5, Paul is talking about how the wives submit respect to their husbands and the husbands submit love to their wives. As we talk about that. And then in Ephesians 6, Paul starts talking about kids and how children should submit their wills to their parents. And that is huge. That is huge because if your children never submit their will to your will, there's a much higher likelihood they will not submit their will to God's will. Like the stats are profound on that. So it's important, but how do we get there? How do we get there? How do we get to the place where our kids can trust God enough to trust us enough that they're gonna submit their will? without us just coming at them with a bunch of authority and a title. Like, how do we get to that place? In Ephesians 6, 1, it says this, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Okay, so I'm talking to the kids in the room. If there are any kids, hopefully none too young. Honor your father and mother, which is the first command with a promise. Okay, so that's good news. For any young people, 
This is the only commandment that comes with the promise. And the promise is, if you'll do this, if you'll trust me and do this, not if you do this if you like your parents. Not if you do this if you have the best parents ever. But if you'll do this as unto the Lord, if you'll do this in trusting him, that it will be well with you and that you may live a long life on earth. And you fathers, okay, but this could speak to mothers too, do not provoke, okay? That word literally means don't lead through a domineering, thoughtless spirit. Don't provoke your children to wrath or to anger, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So that's talking about leadership. It's talking about how do you influence, but how are you influencing them to a place of submission to the Lord, fear of the Lord. Proverbs 24.3 says this, homes are built on the foundation of wisdom and understanding. Okay, so we will talk about this verse a lot when it comes to the home because of the word build. Because that's what it's going to take. It's going to take work. If you're going to have a godly home, if you're going to be godly parents, if you're going to raise godly kids, you're going to have to be intentional. This is not something that happens on accident. There's hard work involved. Do you know the very first command that God ever gave to human beings? It, it's right in the beginning of the Bible. In fact, you don't get out of Genesis chapter 1 and you hear the first commandment God gives to people. He says, God, it says, God blessed them and said, have many children and grow in number. And that, by the way, is the only commandment that human beings have ever been able to keep. Especially here in Cabot, we are nailing it. We know how to obey God in that commandment. We know that there is more than one way to grow the kingdom of God. God said, get married, have families, have kids, and we nailed it. We went from Adam and Eve to 7.7 .7 billion people on planet Earth. And there's a lot of kids and a lot of parents. And as long as you or your kids are alive, you never stop parenting. You never stop parenting. You may be 80 years old and maybe your kids are in their late 50s. And they may call you up and say, Mom, Dad, what was it like when you turned 60? And you may not remember. But you're going to make something up. Because you realize you never stop parenting. I think that would be the kind of relationship with our kids that any of us would want. But what's my role? What's my role? Because God makes it very clear in his word that he wants you to have children who are true to him. Are true to him their whole lives. How do you do that? Because let's be honest. It's easy to get distracted. That process of parenting, that process of especially of parenting kids towards the Lord, man, it is hard. It's easy to get off track. It's easy to be distracted just parenting in general. Like, I, I, I don't know if this has happened to anybody, but like, per se, you had a kid in a car seat and you put him in the back seat, but you were distracted and you forgot to put the seatbelt through the car seat. So you're pulling out of the parking lot and that car seat's rolling back and forth across the back. He's fine. He turned out all right. 
I don't know if that ever happened to you. I don't know if you've ever been distracted and didn't realize that one of your kids ran away. They weren't in the home anymore. And then by the time you realized it, you found that kid walking home with a stranger about a mile away from your house because he went into their house, plopped himself on the couch and started watching TV. I don't know if you've ever been distracted like that. I don't know if you've ever been distracted to the point where you sent one of your kids to their room to wait on you to come and discipline them and then you forgot. So hours later, <laughs> then you walk in like you never forgot, like, I hope you've, I hope you've really been thinking about <laughs> what you did. What was it that they did? <laughs> oh, Let's be honest, how many of us actually have kids that will stay in the room the whole time if you tell them, go to your room and wait there until I come to this? It ain't going to happen most of the time. It's easy to get distracted in general, but I will say this, man, when you get distracted away from being intentional about building a godly home, before you know it, you won't do it intentionally. It just happens. It's a slow fade, but before you know it, you will be years down the road. You can be married 20, 25 years, look at your home and look at your family and wonder how in the world did we ever get here? How did this happen? How did we get to a place where our family, our home, and our children look nothing like what we know God would want it to look like? And I, and I will say this, some of you, you're sitting in that place right now and you feel the weight of that. And I will say, God can redeem and heal and restore anything, anything, when you're willing, humble, and teachable, and if you can get back to the truth, if you can get back to his word, he can restore. So a couple things that I'm learning right now is I'm trying to be a godly parent. First of all, I have to decide what is central. I have to decide what is central. And what I mean by that is whatever is at the center of your home is what you actually worship. That's what you actually worship. You're gonna have a lot of things in your life, some things that are close, some things that are far, some things that are on the edge or the peripheral of your life, but whatever is at the center is the actual God that you're worshiping. And this is the question. Who or what am I truly going to live for? And parents have to ask, answer that question first because our kids are going to grow up having lots of options. They can make the center of their life social pressures, their friends, peer pressure, things that they see on social media. They can build their life around that. They can center their life on sports. They can center their life on school. They can center their life on family. They can center their life on career. They can center their life on having fun. They can center their life on buying stuff. And none of those things are wrong. They just don't belong in the center. None of them. God has to be there. God has to be there. Because none of those things will hold you together when life starts to fall apart. None of those things will. Only God will hold you together. It has to be at the center. If you have the center of your life as a relationship, you can lose relationships very quickly. If you have the center of your life, your career, we can give some testimonies, I'm sure, in this room of how those won't hold you together. 
If you send your life around wealth or money, certainly we can lose those things or we'll just have to spend it all at $4 a gallon. If you send your life around good looks or your health, how many of y'all know gravity works? Gravity works. You're only gonna be able to maintain that for so long. I turned 42 on Friday. One of our church members, so loving and graciously, walked up to me this morning and said, wow, you're really getting a lot of gray hair. And I said, it's because of you. (laughs) And I've earned it. If you put the center of your life as anything other than God and this, it'll fall apart. It won't last. Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment in the Bible? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Okay, everything. This is the first and greatest commandment. Okay, so we're aware of that commandment. But this also has to be the very first thing and the thing that we repeat over and over again that we teach our children. Love God, love God. The first critical choice that a child has to learn is the choice that they're going to have to make over and over and over again over the course of their life. And that is this. Am I going to live a self-centered life or am I going to live a God-centered life? You'll have to make that decision over and over again and you will be tempted over and over again. All of us parents know that. We will be tempted over and over again to move something else into that place. But the reality is if God's not in the middle Really, we're going to put ourselves in the middle. And as parents, we have to set the example. We have to. We have to have moral authority. So if we say, man, God's number one in our family, how are we demonstrating that? I posted a couple days ago. This is a leadership principle, but I think it's a biblical principle too. And it's this. Your lowest standard in any given subject will typically be the highest standard of the people that you're leading and influencing. And that especially applies to your kids. Okay? So in your attitude, uh, your, your, your driving behavior. Okay? All right? So they're, they're not, they're not going to take note of the wise choices that you made while you were driving. They're going to be like, ma'am, they're defensive drivers. They're so respectful. No, they're going to take note of the time that that person cut you off. You called them a name and flipped them off. That's going to be what they remember. And that may be a low point for you. You may have even said, kids, I shouldn't have said that and I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. They've already seen it and heard it. And for them, it's like, so when I drive, Okay, this goes into a lot of edgy areas. Your attitude, the substances that you put in your body, how you treat the body of Christ, how you reverence his house, your lowest standard will be their highest standard. How you spend your time in devotion to him, how you read his word, how you pray, 
man, and here's the thing, the stats on this, the, the, the percentages of the next generation that are now completely disengaged from church, completely disengaged from reading the word of God. And we can't blame that on a dark world. We got to take personal responsibility and say, where was the church and where were the parents? We've got to set the example. It's a calling that God's given us. When you become a Christian, your center changes. The center of your life changes when you become a Christian. Whether you become a Christian at five or 50, Jesus can't just be a piece of the pie that represents your life, a percentage. Jesus gets this. No, Jesus has to be the filling of the pie. You can have a lot of pieces out there and all those pieces aren't necessarily bad, but you need to put Jesus at the center of all of them. He's gotta be the one that's getting the glory. He's gotta be the one that has the priority. He's gotta be number one. And 2 Chronicles 5.14 says, Christ's love has the first and last word in everything we do. Man, what a great standard to have in a home. And if you center your life on how much God loves you and you're growing in an understanding of how to love him, then you, and more importantly, there's a better chance your kids won't fall victim to all the stuff that the rest of the world is. The insecurity, the inferiority, the ins- the, 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 just the nonsense, the foolishness that people chase after to try to define themselves. It's a lot better when the definition's already been written and you believed it. It's on your heart. So it doesn't make you vulnerable to be defined by every wind of change the culture is throwing at you. One of the things I'm very thankful for, this will give hope to a lot of you. I come from a broken home. My parents got divorced when I was 13 years old. They both had a lot of faults in what happened, okay? And it was tough. I am thankful for everything that I went through because it is a part of my testimony. But I'll tell you, the only reason why I have a powerful testimony and not just a sad story from a broken home is because before and early, my parents gave me the word of God and spoke into me my identity in Christ. I got saved when I was seven years old. I've shared my testimony, rock and roll concert. It was awesome. And I, I felt, look, I remember even as a young kid, I remember I had a personal relationship with Jesus. I remember we would, I would walk out on my property with a BB gun and shoot a bunch of stuff I shouldn't shoot. A lot of animals, a lot of birds, it was fun. But while I was out doing that, I remember just singing to the Lord. I remember just talking to him. And I remember he would talk to me. And I remember I just had this, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't great socially. I didn't have a lot of friends. But I always remember having that firm identity because that was something my parents made as a priority. We were at church. We were around the body of Christ. We had his word in our family. I remember it was so strong inside of me at one point during, at, in third grade, I was switching from a Christian school to a public school. And this, this is my innocence, all right? <laughs> this is the way I thought about it. I was like, all right, I'm going from Christian school to public school. 
uh, some of the most hateful, mean people I've ever met in my life were in the Christian school. But when I go over to the public school, they're all sinners. They're all sinners. I'm sure that everyone in a public school is probably going to hell unless I do something about this. And so I remember when I went to third grade, man, I went ready. I had my cowboy's boots on, my rustler jeans. I had a belt buckle. I had my flannel shirt tucked into my pants, and I had my Bible. And I was going to public school. And so I showed up in a public school, and I, they wouldn't let me preach in the classroom. But as soon as I got out on the playground, I climbed to the top of those monkey bars, and from the top of those monkey bars, I started preaching to all those heathen souls. Now, I didn't know a lot of the Word of God, but I knew John 3.16, and I preached the crud out of John 3.16 over and over and over again. cool part about that one girl named Heather got saved, brought her whole family to church. Her family got saved, so that was cool. That was encouraging for me as a little young evangelist. Look, that's not because I'm something special. It's because my parents made a priority to make sure and show me what had to be number one, what the priority was. And I remember those things way more than almost anything else that they let me do or anything else that we did together as a family. That's what sustained me later on in life. You gotta choose what's at the center. You gotta make your home a safe haven in storms. A safe haven in storms. Y'all remember when the storm came through a couple weeks ago? Anybody remember that? Anybody get your cars destroyed by the hail? Anybody in the house? I'm sorry about that. Anybody got other damage on your, your house? The weird thing was, like, and I know this is how storms work, but like on the outer rim of that storm, that's where all the damage was, right? Back where the tornado was, where the, it was actually rotation, we didn't have any hail. And it was weird. It was like surreal because I'm getting warnings on my phone that I'd never gotten before. Imminent danger. You're all going to die. I'm like, wow, this seems serious. But I am the typical person. I walked outside (laughs) waiting for those flashes of lightning, okay? Looking for a funnel somewhere. I'm like, man, it doesn't seem like there's a, a nader coming this way. I don't know. I don't see one. But the warning's on TV. Take shelter immediately. And so, so we did. And I just told my family, say, hey, guys, we're going to go ahead and get in the shelter. Let's go. All right. Grabbed a couple things. Went and got down in the shelter. And, and while we're in there, man, it was, it was interesting to watch the spirit and the atmosphere that was in there. It's one thing I have learned is this. I am either the greatest destroyer or the greatest facilitator of peace in my home. And if you're the leader in your home, it's the same with you. I will teach my children a lot about the difference between respecting a situation versus fearing a situation based on how I respond. And so if I'd been like, oh my God! Grab everything! We don't have time, never mind. Run and scream and cry 
and get in the shelter. I promise you, everybody would have done that. (laughs) And it wouldn't have changed the storm. We wouldn't have heard on the news, the Bennetts are freaking out. Because of their freak out, there is less storm now. Thank you, Bennetts. Doesn't change anything. So you've got to set the atmosphere when storms come to your home. And there's going to be some storms. There's going to be storms that hit your kids' lives. And your ability to respond in a way that is spirit-led and according to the fruit of the spirit will make all the difference. And you may blow it. You can get back in it. You can always get back in it. Some ways, some storms that are going to hit your kid's life. First of all, failure. Failure. Nobody wins all the time. And honestly, I think it's really important that all of our kids experience failure on some level. Uh, Not everybody wins the trophy. Sorry. It's just not, it doesn't happen that way. It's not real life. There's gonna be times when they fail a test, they're gonna bomb, they're not gonna make the team. Kids are gonna strike out, get benched. You know what, they're gonna sin. It's gonna happen. Some of them will be rebellious. Some of them are gonna make terrible choices. They're going to take the car out and they're going to wreck it sometime. Or they're going to make less serious mistakes like shaving a cat or something like that. They're going to do some stupid stuff. What kind of home are you going to have when they fail? Also, the storm of rejection. Rejection is going to happen. You know, here's the thing. I'm more analytical, okay? Okay. That's usually the way I approach things. It's not always the best thing because say one of my girls would come to me and they're telling me about this girl at school who was just so mean and so hateful and they're in tears and they're broken and they're really upset. And this is the way I look at it, okay? The way I look at it is this is stupid. Look, when you're 20, you're not even gonna remember this chick, okay? And, and more than likely, she doesn't have a lot going for her anyway. She's probably going to wind up in juvenile hall one day, you know, in jail. So, so it's not even worth worrying about. We just need to move on. And that's why they don't let me counsel a lot of people around here. <laughs> I'm probably right, though. I mean... One of the toughest storms to handle is rejection for your kids. How many of y'all would say that, that it, it, it either ticks you off more than anything or breaks your heart more than anything when you see your kids experience rejection? Man, you know what? It hurts the heart of God too. That's why he sent his son so that none of us are rejected. That's, that's why he did that. That's, that's how passionate he is about it. So he knows it. Everybody knows what it feels like to be criticized, especially these days. Social media, yeah, it's, it, it can be such a demonic realm. Most of us, it started when we were kids on the playground, right? Like most of us don't remember every person in our life, but we remember like one good teacher and we all remember the one bully on the playground. 
Like we remember that person's name, whoever they were. All of us have that. Our kids are going to face jerks. Kids can be ruthless. They're going to say really, really hateful things. They're going to lose friends, get dumped, get unfollowed, get blocked, not be popular, feel like the invisible kid. It's going to happen. That's a storm. So how do you build a family in a home that can be a shelter in those storms? Four quick things. First of all, I think you got to hear them. You've got to hear them. Listen to the people in your family. Listen to your kids. And don't be so quick to give them the solution. Okay, I have that problem. Like, I'm trying to get better at it. Like, I used to just interrupt and give the solution. Now I'll just wait till they're done, and I can't wait for them to be done. And I'm like, okay, this is what you got to do. I promise if you do this, it's going to fix everything. No, just listen. Just listen. Just listen and get really good at asking spirit-led questions. The kinds of questions that get them dialoguing. The kinds of questions that get them dialoguing about the truth in spite of the storm. Because the most powerful revelation that any of us have ever gotten in any of our lives has been self-revelation. It's when we came to an answer through the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that you haven't gotten some powerful revelation from someone else. But self-revelation is going to be way more powerful than somebody else just telling you what you should do. You got to have conviction. You got to have self-revelation. Help your kids get to that point by listening and asking great questions. Also, hug them. Hug them. You've got to express affection. Some of you are porcupines. You need Jesus to set you free. Because this is what I would encourage you with. I, and I would do it even if your kid don't like it. As long as you are strong enough and quick enough, you make them do it. You just grab them. You just hug them. You hug them. You just hug them. Don't, I don't care how awkward it makes them feel. You hug them until they give up fighting. You just hug them until they just allow you to express love. Every human on planet Earth needs that. Every human. I think it's something that God has given us as a gift and an opportunity. But this is what else I've learned. Undemonstrated love is not love at all. Love you, buddy. But you never show them. That'll wind up feeling like worthless sentiment and not real love. Hug them. Pat them. Tickle them. Show them physical affection. Also help them. You don't have to have the answer, but you can always do what the Holy Spirit does for you and give them hope. You don't have to have the solution, but you can always give hope. And make sure that when you're in some of those storms and you don't know what to do, make sure that you get them the help that they need. Whatever that is, unhealthy families ignore the problems. They say things like, oh, we can make it without help. We need to just keep this in our house. We just need to keep this between us. We don't need anybody else's input. We can handle it. Or even worse, what problem? Not, there's no problem. We're good. 
both of those make you very unhealthy. Healthy families are willing to look at themselves realistically and say, we're having a really tough time. We're in the middle of a storm and we need to get, we need to get some help. Sometimes that may be professional help, but you know what? When Jesus left, he left three things. He left his word, he left his spirit, and he left his life group. That's our model. The reason why you need biblical community is because you are gonna hit storms that you cannot overcome by yourself. And I wanna tell you this, as a pastor, any of our pastors, we do not mind getting calls or emails when somebody is in the middle of a storm. But what we much prefer is that we're like the third or fourth person that got the email or the call because their community, their tribe, their people have already been called and they're covering them. They're praying for them, they're showing up, they're giving them whatever emotional help, whatever physical help, whatever spiritual help that they possibly can. I promise you, if you have strong biblical community, it is going to give some confidence and assurance even to your kids. And you're gonna model something that's incredibly important for them to see as they get older too. Last thing is this, have fun. Have fun. Some of you are way too intense. And I say that as a relatively intense person. But some of you, you take yourselves way too seriously. Way too seriously. Have dance parties in your home. Let's just be honest. Your kids need to hear good music. They don't have any right now. <laughs> now you're laughing, but this is serious. Turn on some 80s rock, some 70s rock, and have a dance party. Just cut loose. Have fun. Embarrass the heck out of one another. Have fun. There needs to be more joy. And you know when it's most important that you're able to have fun? Right after the pain. Right after the discipline. Too often we marinate in it. We sit and we think about it. That is a playground for the devil to bring condemnation and shame. And you don't need that in your home. They may have been a bonehead and they may need a discipline. Do it, make sure they understand why, make sure they understand the heart behind it, and then move on. Because that's what the Spirit of God does with you. So do it with them too. You know, after you sin, you know what God wants you to do more than anything? Just get back to enjoying his presence again. That's what he wants. And I think we can model and demonstrate that for our kids. Psalm 126.2 says this, they were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. And the other nations said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. And isn't that powerful? One of the greatest testimonies that the world around us needs to see is that in spite of storms and in spite of faults and weaknesses, that Christians still have joy. We still have joy. We know how to laugh. Whatever moment you're in, whatever season you're in, be there. Be there 100%. Because once that moment passes, it's gone. You don't get it back. 
I see a lot of older parents shaking their head at me right now. Because you know it's true. Look, I know, people tell me this all the time. My kids, I know I'm going to blink and London will be 30, eloping with some wealthy, godly man somewhere. I know it's going to happen, you know? <laughs> Daddy wants a lake house. Amen. But just stay in the moment. Stay in the moment. Okay, but here's the thing. Some of you, you're like, I'm missing it. Okay? You're missing it right now. Humble yourself. You may need to ask for some forgiveness to a kid. Humble yourself. Get teachable. Get back to the truth. The Holy Spirit will help you turn it around. Some of you are like, no, I missed it. It's gone. Again, humble yourself. Make the phone call. Send the text. You may not be able to fix the whole situation. You're not accountable to fix the whole situation. The Holy Spirit's really good at his job. He just needs you to recognize that he's good at his job and let him work. Just let him work. The word says, as far as it depends on you, keep the bond of peace. So you just do what you can do. You get back to what you know is true. You live that, and I believe there's nothing that God can't reconcile. There's nothing that God can't restore. Amen? Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. believe that God can heal your family. I know that you cannot do it by yourself. Right now, I pray the fear of the Lord over your homes. The fear of the Lord that leads to wisdom and knowledge. I pray, pray for a shield of favor. I pray for godly influence in Jesus' name over every one of your kids, that they would be leaders and mentors and friends to those that need a friend. And I pray that they would pursue the kingdom of God with all of their might for the rest of their days. And I pray over your kids the same thing. I pray over my kids every morning before I drop them off for school. That the spirit of the living God would guard their hearts and minds. The spirit of the living God would guard their purity and their innocence. That as they go into a dark world, that they would be salt and light. That they would have a very real and powerful sense of God's presence around them his favor, his acceptance. And as they walk in that and accept that, they would have a picture of a purpose that is bigger than them, that is eternal, that by the grace of God, they will accomplish, that they will exhibit and live by the fruit of the Spirit, and that the gifts of the Spirit will be poured out on them, that God would give them opportunities to encourage someone that needs to be encouraged to help somebody that needs to be helped. Father God, I speak that over all these kids and the kids to come. And God, I ask for every parent in this room, whatever part of the process they're in, you are not constrained by time and space. And because of the cross, you are also not constrained by the failures and weaknesses that we may have had or may have lived through. Right now, God, I thank you that when you look at us, even as parents, you see us as you see your own son, Jesus, fully accepted, whole. 
with the authority to be the people that you've called us to be. So God, would you, by your grace, by the power of your word, the leading of your spirit, help every parent in this room to simply first return to you, to put you at the center, to make you number one, to have a deep, intimate love that overflows out of them and into a marriage if it's there, but certainly into the children that are there. Thank you, God. There might be a couple of you. The issue is God has never been at the center. You may have added him. You may have even taken on a title, but it's never been real. It's never been your all. You've never surrendered to him. There's a really good chance you've just never made Jesus your Lord. And maybe you need to do that right now. And I wanna give you a chance to do that. So there's people praying for you all around you and they're gonna keep praying for you. And you don't need to worry about them. But if you know you're ready to call on Jesus and put him at the center, make him the Lord of your life. I'm gonna give you a chance to demonstrate that as a show of faith and just admitting it's me. I want you to put your hand up right now across this room. I need Jesus. I'm ready to put him at the center. Okay, got you. Anyone else? I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. Got you, bro. Thank you. Anyone else? I'm ready to make him my number one. Or I did at one point, but I've been away from him. I put him at the middle, but then I pushed him out. I put other things there. I may have even put my family there. I may have put my marriage there. I may have put my career there. But none of those things can be what you want them to be without you being there first. Anyone else? I want to put Jesus at the center. Yeah, got you, brother. Anyone else? Okay. Father God, I thank you for those couple of hands. I want to encourage you, if you did raise your hand, you need to go public with your faith at some point. I would encourage you to tell somebody as soon as the service is over. A great way to go public with your faith is water baptism. We'll have a chance coming up here in just a couple of weeks. But I want you to talk to Jesus. You don't have to say exactly what I'm saying. You just need to be sincere. And say something like this. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. But I believe that you came and you paid the price for my sin on the cross. Thank you for dying for me. But I also believe that you didn't stay dead and you rose from the grave. And when you rose from the grave, you defeated sin and you defeated death. And I thank you that because of that, I have the hope of heaven. I'm gonna spend eternity with you there someday. But Lord, I don't wanna wait until I die to walk in your presence now. And I know that the only way that I can be the person that you've created and called me to be, I have to be surrendered to you. So I thank you for saving me from my sin, but I also need you to be the Lord of my life. Jesus, be the center. Please, give me the strength to, to keep you there by your word, by the conviction of your Holy Spirit, by the strength and encouragement of the body of Christ. I make you my center. Jesus, I thank you for those couple of people that made that decision. And I pray that you would help us all wherever we're at, to continue to be the people that you've called us to be. And Lord, I do lift up every person that longs to be a parent. And for whatever reason, they haven't yet. 
first of all, I believe that you are a God that still does miracles and can still heal. So God, if it's something medical, I speak to every muscle, tissue, and cell in their bodies, and I command wholeness. And I speak in the name of Jesus that when the doctors have given them negative reports, that by your grace, it's gonna be a testimony that'll draw even those doctors to knowing that they serve a God who still heals. Touch them and heal them in Jesus' name. And God, if it's just beyond that, the season of life or whatever it is, I pray that they would have spiritual eyes to see that there is still so much need around them. Young people that need to be spiritually parented, encourage them, Father God. Lift up their heads. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.